I was going through this workout and I stretched and oof, I started just bawling my eyes out. Like I'm talking like compu like compulsions, like convulsions, sorry, like just shaking in the entire body and crying, right? Now, the interesting part is I'm in Melbourne, Australia in this bodybuilding gym where there's like needles in the trash can, like just to kind of like paint the picture of this dingy type bodybuilding gym where I was the smallest dude in the room. Like there's just these big old dudes and I'm just in the middle of this gym, like just in the fetal position, crying and crying and crying. And I'm like, holy shit. And I don't know how long that time span was, but there was like dudes that came up to me and I just remember like opening my eyes and going like, pull it together, Richard, like what the hell is happening? Like unexplainable. Right. And, um, I was like, I don't even know what to do at this point. And I was like, no, nope, I'm going to keep crying. Cause there's no controlling it. And tears just kept coming down and people were like, this dude's fucking nuts. This is the limitless athlete podcast. I'm Tom Foxley, founder of MindsetterX and your host. And I believe we must stop seeing our mind and body as two separate things and start seeing them as inextricably linked. I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm willing to work as hard as I can. There is no past, there's no future, there's just this moment right here. If I did that, if I can get through that, like, come at me. Changing how I saw myself, like, as a man, not just as, as an athlete. It's okay that I struggle. It's okay, that's part of the deal. It's how I respond to it. Today on the Limitless Athlete Podcast, you're going to be listening to a conversation between myself, Tom Foxley, and Richard Aceves of StrongFit and Movement Ayahuasca fame. The key theme that I pulled out this conversation and the lesson that I think you can begin applying is to stop seeing your mind and body as these disparate, separate things. We're taught that kind of the mind is in control. The mind is the rider and the body is the horse. It's like Joe Rogan always talks about your mind carrying around a meat vehicle. Like your body is the meat vehicle and your mind's in control of it. But it's a feedback and feed forward thing. They're two parts of the same system. We're taught to see emotion, sleep, injury, nutrition, movement, thoughts, lifting as these separate things. But they all come from the same organism. They all come from you. Like, how shit do you feel when you don't sleep properly? I had a Chinese takeaway the other day, and I was ruined for about 24 hours afterwards. Or, on the other side, like, how empowered do you feel after strength training? Or how mentally clear and bright do you feel when you're clearly and well hydrated? It's all part of the same system, and we've got to treat it as such. So it's not too much of a leap to think there's a link between muscles and minds. Take this story from Dopamine Addiction. A case report from British Medical Journal published in 1995 details the case of a 29-year-old construction worker who walked into the emergency room after landing foot-first on a 15-centimetre nail, which was sticking up and out of the top of his construction boot, having penetrated through leather, flesh, and bones. The smallest movement of the nail was painful, and he was sedated with fentanyl, and midazolam, powerful opioids and sensitives. But when the nail was pulled out from below the boot and removed, it became apparent that the nail had penetrated between the toes, 
the foot was entirely uninjured. What this says is that the mind and the body are so linked, you get pain from physical sensation. Uh, sorry, you get pain from mental sensation. It's the placebo effect. Now, I'm going to take you to the show with Richard Aceves, but listen with this in mind. Your mind and your body are inextricably linked. I'd like to start off by setting the scene of, of you and how you got to where you are. The yeah. the point that comes to my mind time and time again is your accident and that video. Um, talk to me yeah. about that. Um, <laughs> explain to people what happened and then I can relive it in the in the joy. In the joy, yeah. Um, so I decided to become a climber, mountaineer, and expeditionist of nothingness, right? Of peaks of mountains, which makes no sense whatsoever, except for the journey there. Um, but the destination is never anything. It's extremely gratifying because of the journey, not because of the actual destination. The view is beautiful, but the journey is really the, was the goal. Um, and as we were coming down from the summit in Mexico, which has been now, we're going on almost 14, 14 years since my accident. Um, I got, there was a rock slide. I pushed my uncle out of the way. There was a rock that came down, smashed me on the side of the hip. And I had a few choices to make as to how to react to this situation, um, how to take action, how to be a human being as well. Um, and yeah, I spent the 12 or more hours. I, I, I keep losing track of how many hours. It was like 12 some hours in, on the mountain uh, waiting for rescue, got rescued. Took me five months to get out of a hospital bed. Uh, learned how to walk again, uh, brought myself back to fitness and training and moving and realized that my passion was to show people that you are able to do anything. Um, and I think from there, as the progress of passion and the action because of my passion took over, um, I was led into how do I correct people from not having to go the surgical way or when nobody has an answer who do you turn to um, and I think that's been my journey ever since and I've gotten to this point where uh, yeah it's how do I culminate my entire life into what I do as a profession which is supposed to be fitness and health um, and what does fitness and health really mean and I think I'm finally getting to that point where you know let's just really enjoy life and that's that's you know it's funny because you bring back the accident and it still gets emotional like yeah i can't say it doesn't but you know life is emotional uh we're emotional beings and we socialize and there's a reason for it um but it's it's interesting because whenever i go back to the accident or the cooking before it um it all kind of starts to make sense a lot more now and it really shows me how important it is to be present and joyous and I think that's really my biggest philosophy in life. And we're, we can get into it and I'll get into my spirit animal and all that weird shit. Not my spirit animal, but the coincidence of my Instagram handle. And then when you read what the spirit animal means, it's, it's hilarious because it just makes sense to everything that I am. <laughs> but yeah, so that's kind of the backstory. <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, yeah, a light breezing over. Like there's, there's so much there. Um, the last podcast yeah. we recorded 
all those years went back. Went into it heavily, yeah. Yeah, yeah went properly and heavily into it. But um, so that's always a reference. Um, but I wanted to touch on that because it frames the conversation quite nicely. Yeah. What was that decision like to dedicate your life to helping people with fitness and health? Did it seem obvious to you? Did it take some time to come about? It really did, right? Um, let me slow my thoughts down. My brain is going really fast. It was a natural progression to who I was. I love making people feel happy, joyous, uh, loved, right? And before fitness, it was with food. Um, and I still do it with food. Don't get me wrong. I love cooking a good steak and you know a good English breakfast and you know getting people getting people super happy with my food. But it was fitness came naturally to me. I, I, I'm not somebody. I'm not an exhibitionist. Um, I think I'm more of a philosopher. And so when I started getting into, into fitness and coaching people, it was very intuitive. And no matter what I read or methods that were given to me, um, I still followed my own intuition and what I thought the person needed, which I think is what a coach really is, right? So meaning I, 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 my, my coaching journey went with CrossFit. But I would have five, 10 people in a class and I would coach each one of them differently because intuitively I could understand that one person needed to be kind of pushed aggressively versus the other one needed to be soft talked and cared about at, through the workout. And so I think for me, it's been a, an intuitive path. And, and I think it's been, I don't want to sound too spiritual and holistic here. Um, but I think that you, I really understand, I'm a, I'm a big empath and I understand who you are as a person. And I listen when I'm there in the moment with you and I can help guide them through, through training, right? Whatever that training may be. Who did you learn that from? Man, I have no clue. There's so many crazy, like I, I, so I'm already early plugging movement ayahuasca, but there's been some interesting times when I'm training, right? And, and for me, I always have these reflections so we can get deeper into that. But I think, you know, it's things that you listen to when you're younger that stick to your head and never let go. Um, there's a very early time when I heard my mom say, you need to truly accept the person for who they are. And anything that you don't like about them is usually a reflection of yourself. And so in that point, I said, huh, I like it. And I still find it, huh? <laughs> yeah. had, she so been, I, had she been reading Jung or like what was happening there? I have no clue, man. I, I think I was like seven or eight, not yeah. eight, nine years old because I just moved to the U.S. Yeah. And I just remember because I was having a hard time like transferring my life from Mexico to the U.S. And there was like, you know, grumbles and things, uh, kid dominance situations in, in primary school. <laughs> um but it was super interesting. Like you're, I was like, all right. And so I was like, from that point forward, I was like, I'm going to accept everybody for who I am. And sometimes I catch myself, you know, wanting to bring down, I think it's a, a human nature thing, right? Like critiquing people. Um, and I've really come to understand that you're going to be who you are and I can choose to accept it or I cannot. It's your energy and it's my energy. You're not going to change my energy and, and you're not going to, differentiate the way that I see the world, you know, at least towards a negative way in a, in a, in a, in a negative note, I won't, I won't allow that energy to bring me down. Yeah. 
Yeah, I love the way that you're thinking about, okay, I'm going to work with reality as closely as it is rather than trying to mesh this person to my preconceived idea of how I believe they should be. It's like, who is this person right now? And as a coach, that gives you the opportunity to help them. Whereas without that, you're kind of just, I don't know, proving your own ego or or trying to prove yourself right or or kind of um, insulate yourself. Yeah, for sure. And, And I think as a coach, don't get, again, you know, I've, I think I've made a lot of mistakes in my life and, and, you know, maybe not mistakes, but I've let my ego push towards certain directions with certain clients where I should have just accepted where they were and made the most out of the situation. Right. Um, I think that our ego gets in the way to try and prove somebody else wrong for your benefit. And I think at that point, nobody wins Mm. because they've, they've already have, clocked out exactly exactly so you're you've been through the kind of the incident you've been through the recovery um you've had that video recorded what was happening in that video that i, I can't remember the, was it the, the giant screws oh with the screws being taken out yeah so yeah. that was the second time uh the first time going through they were taking the external fixator out um and yeah you you know it's like some of the interesting parts that i remember of my my whole journey, it was, you know, saying thank you to the lady who came to take the trash out. Simple things like that, you know, like you'd never know who you're going to impact in life. And I think that intuitively, I think we forget with social media and how easy it is to just type a comment or a, you know, a diss or a meme or things like this, where it puts people down. Um, I think that it's time for us to start to elevate people, right? Like we should make people the best that they can be rather than keep pushing them down. And I think that really started from having to survive and endure that pain, but also having to understand that that pain can also affect other people, Mm. right? I can affect people with that pain by being a dick to them because I'm in pain. You should be in pain too. Or I could be extremely grateful and thank everybody that helped me through that journey. So there's two ways, you know, there's two sides to that coin. And for me, I think ever since I was young, and again, I like, there's some early memory stuff where I would listen to my, I I, I mean, for my dad, I would see the actions that he did and how much work he would put in with people that had no money and, you know, him as a doctor, but with my mom, like she was very, um, she was like a, a sage or an oracle, if you will, right? Like she had very, she had amazing words of wisdom. Um, and so I think from that stage forward, it was always like, I'm not here to bring people's energy down. My goal in life is to make sure that everybody is brought up a level and is being able to understand their actual potential, their true potential. Mm. It's that idea no matter what, you. I'm going to love them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. Yeah, where you treat someone with, you give them the space to take that responsibility and you give them the space to um, step up to the plate and people do that. Like that's what humans do. Like we kind of, we fill that void that you leave. And if the void is one of negativity and like, Oh, well, people don't like this and like people are shitty, then they become those kind of people. And also you filter that through your own experience. Um, Whereas if you give them the space to become the type of person that they have potential to become, that's who they become. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's it's been an it's been an interesting transformation in the way I look at myself in that sense, right? Because I used to look at myself as a high performer, like I'm gonna get up and I'm gonna go hustle, and 
and and and the more and more I do this, like I see myself more in the philosophical and, and shaman and you know, uh, I'm becoming that master that just wants to help people. The byproduct will be the physical stuff, but in reality, I just really want to get people to their potential. Mm. And and I and I think that I have an interesting perspective to life, which makes makes it a reality. But I I, I see the human, I see the the movement patterns, I see uh, the the approach to exercise in a unique way. Um, than most people do and not as a generalized, but for the individual, I have a very hard time generalizing a lot of the work I do. And I think that's why it's so hard for me to just systemize it. And it needs to be individualized because each individual person has gone through their own traumas. So someone can come and coach you and I the same, and we'll have completely different results because we're completely different people. So the perception, the the reactive and the predictive mechanisms that we have inside of us are completely different. So how can you expect the exact same results? Maybe we'll have the same results physically or metabolically, but what about psychologically, right? What about spiritually? What about emotionally, right? There's a lot missing in that. They're fragmenting. It's being fragmented. And so for me, I want to work with the entire human Mm -hmm. because that's where the real results come in. That's where the growth comes in for the human. Well, because we're a human first and an athlete second, we're in an entirety of this being. And as soon as people try and treat a, a class of people, for example, exactly the same, that's when we get into difficulties because we've got every single experience that not only they have had, but every single right. one of their ancestors has created genetically that person. And then their own perception of that experience is, or their experiences of their life has created a very individual person with complete different yeah. psychological temperaments, complete different physiology, like the same, same baseline standard, but different modifications of that. Yeah. So it's, you can't, it, you can't expect 100% results. Right. And so that's that's the the problem when we start to systemize these things you know it's i uh, maybe people can do it and and don't mind having that 30% drop off or you know that that belt curve and taking their money and running away with it but for me it's like i really just want to help those that want to be helped like it's it's crazy once you actually start to pay attention just truly care for the person Everything else, well, for me, right? There's different, I think there's different typecasts in this world. But for me, like that, my entire world is like on fire. Like I become so much more sensitive to everything around me because I understand that I'm making a true change in this world, right? Maybe for one person, but that that person's perspective is changing around the entire world, of the entire world. And so for me, it's it's been... I don't know. It's just been this weird transformation where I'm still trying to go, you know, don't get me wrong. Like I came from CrossFit and, and strength and conditioning and really understanding the methods and, and the methodology and programming and, and, you know, the systems and the linear systems. And, but as you start to really go and, and see how you're wanting to work with people, you, you start to understand there's so much more complexity to it that can't really be taught in books. And anybody that has tried to teach it outside of the books has become like the spiritual leader. And somehow it turns extremely sexual, (laughs) which we're sexual beings, but nobody wants to talk about it. Right. Like, 
but there's so much amazingness that can happen before that stuff. Like let people be the read monogamous, open relationship, whatever they want. But it's like, there's so much more growth that we can do before that. And somehow so many people that have figured it out before me that are amazing people. Well, ish because they i think they get a power hungry and they become kind of weird but you know tony robbins i think is one of the the best out there right why is and, that why did you say can, that have you seen his documentary yeah i have yeah. do you see how quickly he connects with people yeah that's a good point he yeah. can have a room of two thousand people and he can go up to somebody and within 30 seconds there's a, a genuine connection not a not a i'm going to do a psychological trick or you know mm -hmm. There's a, a genuine connection to that person and a quickness as to how he can evaluate that person and read him and then be able to have him take action. You know how powerful that is? That's a fucking leader, right? So my goal is to become better than Tony Robbins. I'll say it here publicly for the first time. But I can read a person very well, very quickly based on posturing and everything else, but more of certain systems that I've developed. But it's it's amazing what that guy can do, the amount of energy that man has. And when he runs his his weekends and when he runs his 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 you know his events, that there's twenty thousand people that are truly engaged for those twelve to eighteen hours. And he can still stop 16 hours in, see one person in the eye and make a true, genuine connection. There's have not you, many people that can do that. Have you been to one of his events? No, I was about to and COVID hit. COVID. So he'll be coming up. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But it's it's amazing, right? I mean, you you look at that man and, and you know, he has his business stuff and everything else. But I think the the true gift that he has is how quickly he can connect with people. Mm, that is a gift. That is a a skill to hone as well. It's, it's yeah. probably one of the most important ones. Yeah. And, and, and I think that as we look into coaching and, and, you know, talking about training group classes and everything, it's like, how quickly can you connect to your class? Not just manage it and run it through the workout. Anybody can do that. Like you can hire somebody off the streets to do that, but how well can you truly connect to the people to make a true impact in their class that they come to, you know, whether it's twice a week, three times a week or five times a week. Hal Powley in his book, Freestyle, always talks about the, he brings up this idea of like every session, I'm going to go up to each person and give them a gift. And to do that, mm -hmm. you have to understand them first. Isn't like a gift isn't purely a technical cue. It might be, but it's not purely a technical cue. It's a technical cue delivered to an individual who receives it appropriately. And right. like that, that requires a level of understanding first. Yeah, for sure. Okay. So, so that, uh, go on. No, I mean, I think that's really where the, the magic and coaching and, and, and working with people and, you know, going back to like, what was it like for me to go in this fitness world? Like it's, it's a, it's a way for me to, I think, express the energy and the love that I have for, for people. Mm. So you have you experienced the accident you rehabilitate you find out this this idea of like this is where i want to go this is who i want to be um coaching crossfit strength conditioning when did strong fit come into your life uh there was a point where i was wanting to be everything at once <laughs> um 
so there was no more surgeries that needed to happen on my hip or my arm. Um, and I was very strong. Um, I think I was very quick. I didn't have endurance, but I was very quick. Uh, and I could move massive amounts of loads very quickly. And there was a point where I was kind of hitting this plateau where I kept breaking in the sense of not structural damage, but I kept having these, it wasn't even soft tissue trauma. It was like, I would go five pounds or two and a half kilos above my current PR and my shoulder would go out or my back would go out for the next six weeks. Um, and I was like, okay, so maybe a coach could fix this. And I reached around the community at that time for a coach. Um, and they all just sent me programming and, you know, it's taken me a while and I'm, I'm a slow learner, Tom. Uh, but it, it took me a while to understand that exercises are a byproduct, right? Who cares what the exercise is? If you can create the proper tension, you have the neural output and the capacity, the skill can come along fairly quickly. Um, that's what I was thinking back then, but not in those simple, simpler words. Um, and so the, I knew the programming for me would not work because I was already doing more work than the programs had. And so I kept looking around and I found strong, but I found Julian. Um, and he was the first one that treated me like a human, uh, actually had a conversation with me about who I was and why I wanted to go where I wanted to go. Um, and when we did our initial one-on-one -on -one intake, our initial assessment, he was the one that was able to show me why I was breaking, why my back was spasming, why my shoulder kept fucking up, um, excuse the language. Um, and so I think that's really what drove me to be able to be like, okay, this guy has something. Um, and from there, I just started taking everything and, and, you know, building and building and building off of it. So I would record our sessions. Um, I would watch them coach other people until the point where I got comfortable enough to start implementing what he was teaching at my gym. Um, and yeah, we just kind of kept, we kind of grew this relationship where, we ended up traveling around the world for four years uh, before COVID. And, you know, for three and a half of those years, we were on the road 24-7. So we were in a different country every 10 days teaching seminars and teaching people about these, you know, this system. And, yeah, it's, it, that's basically where I ended up with Julian is, we, you know, we've, we've built this following of people that have been frustrated with the system for so long. And, you know, because nothing seems to work. Like I had a, a guy that came in yesterday to come see me and he's, you know, he's been to the specialists in the Netherlands. He's tried the acupuncture. He's tried the cold therapy. He's tried the hot therapy. He's gone to the best of the physios. He's gone to universities to have him look at it. And the discomfort in the back doesn't go away. And so he came to see me. And we were able to lower the discomfort in the back from an average for him was about a six or a seven, meaning it, you know, it takes a while to get out of bed. Um, there's a lot of fear and a lot of challenge subconsciously for him to go do barbell deadlifts or back squats. And, you know, I think that the biggest pro that I had over most of the people that he went to go see is that I've been there. So I've, I've, I've lived those issues. Yeah, that's a huge um, amount to have that. Yeah. <laughs> that's a lot of knowledge to have yeah. on, on the back of your mind. But also I was able to understand his type of training 
And just by seeing the lifts that he was able to do and not do, I could tell where what muscles were slightly more turned off and turned on. I could tell some behavioral traits that he had. Um, and, you know, within an hour session, I took the discomfort all the way down to a two. And so, you know, I'm not saying that that's the magical fix and I fixed him. That's the beginning of his journey, right? Because now from now forward, we can start to build a better human being. We can start to change the approach to the barbell or the approach to training um, and long-term have somebody that will be able to go do a CrossFit competition if he wants to, or start a new sport or play with his kids without the fear of his back blowing up. Mm. That's cool. Like, Which is, yeah, it's, it's everything. Is everything to have yeah. that choice rather than being defined into a, a rut or a kind of a preconceived notion of this is who I am, this is what I'm stuck with. Um, to have your freedom back is is colossal. Yeah, and I, and, and like the crazy part is like he's seen neurologists, like he's gotten nerve tests. Like you're you're looking at somebody that's that's literally looked out every single avenue to try and take away the the discomfort in his low back, mm. which is crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And kind of, I suppose the journey into this depth was definitely uh, channeled by Julian. And Julian is a man who's, I think, from the limited time that I've spent with him, both an enigma and exactly what you see. Um, there's like, I, yeah. I, I can't figure out what makes what makes him him, but like, he is exactly what you see. And like, he's a fascinating guy. What did Julian teach you that you wouldn't have got anywhere else? Oh, man, so much. <laughs> you know he's a he's a an extremely brilliant man that guy and he can pull from everywhere and just bring it all together like it's just it's amazing because he you know he he'll send me studies and i'll read them and i'm like yeah okay but he's like yeah but he explains it in such a simple way and you're like well that fucking makes sense right because like we're doing like lactate lactate testing towards anxiety and depression and you're reading all this stuff and you know how lactate is transferred from the brain or to the body depending on energy expenditure and but then he takes it into the nervous system and what it means for the nervous system then he takes it into the gut and what it means for nutrition and and so he's just a human being that can take and not fragment the the person you know the human itself into either physiological biological neurological like it's just it's all in one and so he's opened my eyes into the theoretical world that i think i would have never gone into i'm a very much a practical person mm. uh, and i think that both are needed and so i think that he's brought that a lot into into what i do for for coaching yeah he definitely sees the picture as a whole like when yeah. Um, when I've listened to podcasts or when I've been to seminar or when I've just chatted with him, he's always, he has this uh, perspective of like, Oh, okay. I see the situation and how it links in for you. That must, um, if, if you're a practical person that must add this kind of like different layer or different perspective or different kind of background that you can view things through. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it, it's always something like, you know, like I said, I don't follow the rules very well. <laughs> and so I coach people how I think they need to be coached. Um, and he'll come about and start talking about lactate or, you know, anxiety, depression, PTSD, uh, imbalances in muscle sounds like oh, I've been like, I'm like, 
that's what I've been doing. He goes, yeah. He's like, but here's like the proof of it. It's just that they never looked at it for, you know, for training or strength and conditioning or how it could be implicated by moving, by training. And so I think like that's one of the the bigger pieces is like the layer that's added from it's like, okay, well, now I can actually point people to studies if they want to learn. Most of the time people just are like, all right, well, I feel better. Thank you very much. And, you know, we're good. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, but I think the, the 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 deeper layer being added is that he's able to explain a lot of the intuitive stuff that I was doing before. Um, or if I have like a really cool idea or I had a client and I started to notice something, I bring it up to him and he's kind of like, mm, okay, interesting. And then he'll start to look all over the world, you know, all the different studies and different parts and different branches of, of science. And he'll, he'll try and find a reason of how it works, which is, I think, uh, amazing. Yeah. And how does all I this... I don't know how he has... I don't know how he stores so much in his in his no, brain. No, no, no. <laughs> like the, his uh, his trait openness must be like off the scale of <laughs> just like yeah. it's so much connection between others. How does this all lead to movement ayahuasca? Yeah, so we were, you know, originally when we started the StrongFit seminars and everything, and I would go to Julian, and I was like, okay, so what is it that we want to do? And he said, I want to help and fix mental health. And explain it to people. And I was like, all right. Is this right at the beginning? Right at the beginning. Yeah. And I told him, I was like, well, let's just, you know, start by fixing people's deadlifts. I think like, you know, a lot of the population would be good if they could just deadlift and their back doesn't blow up. Um, And as we started to go through, we, you know, he, he had the torque chains and then went into the phylogenetic hierarchy and the nervous system and the nutrition. Um, And really in the phylogenetic hierarchy is where I got not stuck, but I got really obsessed as to, you know, these kind of drivers of sadness, anxiety, uh, PTSD, and these revolving cycles of where people spend most of their time. Um, And I started to pay attention to how, you know, and again, I think intuitively, like I've always been very emotional in my training. Um, And emotional doesn't mean like I cry after each one or anything like that, but emotional, like I invest myself into training um and i think a lot of people just use training as a passive wear a by as a as the product of like if i train i'm going to be better physically mentally emotionally right and so that's where i started to see that there was a disconnect there and we started reading and he brought up willem reich and a concept called muscle armoring um and you know he he kind of brought up all these different kind of studies and you know people bringing up other ideas of how the energy is stored in the body and and what's what's happening in the body and as i started to read you know i've probably if you look up like somatic therapies and things like that where movement helps helps heal um i started to look and i would get really obsessed with certain body parts of course it started with me and my accident so i was like okay so what does this all mean and um like one of the biggest aha moments I had was, you know, I was lifting and at the time I could get, I don't know if you want kilos or pounds, but maybe like a 200 kilo, 450 pound deadlift, I could do deficit, perfect tension, meaning, you know, the, the spine, there's no movement in the spine, nothing physiological is being displaced. Like tension is where it's supposed to be, but still after certain events, I would notice that my left hip would just get super, super tight and painful. And I was like, that's just so weird. 
And then I started to notice that it was Julian's right hip. So I was like, that's really weird, right? We both move fairly well. And yeah, we have certain imbalances and everything that we're working on, but the amount of stress that we put on the body, it should not be painful for to just be walking around. And within the phylogenetic hierarchy and, and understanding the states of the nervous system, um, we started to play around with a training session where we go through each one of the states um, and then bring ourselves back. So the states would be a flow, fight, flight, and freeze. So four states, you have the flow in the parasympathetic, fight and flight are in the sympathetic, and then you have the freeze back in the sympathetic, and the parasympathetic, sorry. Um, and so we have a system that we created called the phylogenetic hierarchy workout. And I would do these cycles of training and it was super crazy. Like one day I was going through this workout and I stretched and oof, I started just bawling my eyes out. Like I'm talking like compu like compulsions, like convulsions, sorry, like just shaking in the entire body and crying, right? Now, the interesting part is I'm in Melbourne, Australia, in this bodybuilding gym where there's like needles in the trash can, like just to kind of like paint the picture of this dingy type bodybuilding gym where I was the smallest dude in the room. Like there's just these big old dudes. And I'm just in the middle of this gym, like just in the fetal position, crying and crying and crying. And I'm like, holy shit. And I don't know how long that time span was. But there was like dudes that came up to me and I just remember like opening my eyes and going like, pull it together, Richard, like what the hell is happening? Like unexplainable, right? And um, I was like, I don't even know what to do at this point. And I was like, no, I'm going to keep crying because there's no controlling it. And tears just kept coming down. And people were like, this dude's fucking nuts. Um, it took me a minute. I was able to kind of bring myself back down. I walked outside. I sat down and I was like, holy shit. I take on everybody's stress. That's why. And it was just like, boom. like, it just became like a very, like, that's what it is. Like I'm, I, I am willing to listen to everybody and take on all their pain. You know, I'm a big empath and that's where all that energy has been stored. Interesting. And so I was like, wow. And I had like that realization and then everything was like vivid. Like, I don't know if you've ever done MDMA um, or ecstasy oh, or anything no, like that. No, me. Not intentionally yet, <laughs> but so everything became like very, very bright. And I was like, holy shit. And not that, not just everything became very bright, but then I knew that I took on people's energy and out of nowhere, I was like walking down and I was like, Hey man, you're looking good today, bro. Like just talking to random people, which I usually never really talk to random people and I'm at a bar and then I start drinking and then, you know, I'm, I like oh, to do my yeah. experiments. <laughs> Richard Yoda comes out. Um, but yeah, it just, everything became so clear to me. It was so interesting. And I got home and I remember I told you, I was like, have you ever noticed that your left hip is tighter when you get frustrated at people? And he's like, no. He's like, but I'll pay attention. And he's like, holy shit. And, and, and like three weeks later, he was doing an assessment that the guy was just like, I just want to squat. And Julian's like, it's not about the fucking squat, man. Like, you don't understand. And you could just tell like Julian was just getting so frustrated to this client. And he finished and he walked off and I was like, how's your right hip? He's like, it's so fucking tight. And I was like, boom. And so from there, I was like, huh, there's something there. And so for me, the phylogenetic hierarchy and really being able to understand how the body perceives information, you know, and then makes a prediction to react to that information.
And so if there's things that are not able to be expressed back out, they get stored in the body, right? And usually it's more towards the major traumas, but you know, if your boss gels at you twice a week, that's a major trauma, a major trauma. You know what I mean? There's only so much that you can tolerate before you have a fucking mm-hmm. breakdown. Yeah. So though I started to see the world slightly differently in that sense. And, and I think that was really where I devoted the next three years, just going like, okay, so how come different muscles can have different reactions? And I would just play with it because we were doing seminars. So we'd, I would have 50, 60 people to play with on a weekend, not play with in that sense of guys, like pay, make observations. Um, they were beta testers, <laughs> <laughs> you know, but I mean, I remember going like, Hey guys, we're going to go play with this workout. And this is what I want you guys to think about. And this is what I want you to do and just go for it. And we would have a class of 30 or 40 and, you know, through the workout it was the, there was no objective finished right? It was all constraint-based. The, the, the workout's simple. So you carry the sandbag as far as you can. When you drop it, you bring it back in. That's it. That's all you have to do. And then you stretch either your right or your left glute med. That, that's how I left it. I gave a whole conversation about the phylogenic hierarchy and everything, but I was like, just because I want to show you guys that training can be so much more than just these objective-based sets and reps. Um, and, you know, one, at least one to two people every, every single seminar they would come back and the face would be frozen and they would be in tears or, you know, these, these emotions would come up or these traumas that have been analyzed mentally so they could survive and keep doing their thing, but physically had not been expressed. And so then I would take those cases on and I would work with them and, and try and, and see what we could do. And I mean, it just, it's, it's, th- that's been my obsession is just trying to understand how the body stores emotions and how can we lead it back to action, right? So I think a lot of times, like, that's what holds us back is that we just get in this narrative where the we just listen to the brain narrative, narrating itself without actually ever taking action. Mm-hmm. So that's where movement ayahuasca kind of came from. And it doesn't all have to be towards negative traumas, right? But it's, if you don't take action, like, if you've had a super easy life, it's hard for you to take action because everything's handed to you. So why should you? It's too easy. So I show you that life can be difficult because life doesn't owe you a thing. I've right? got about 40,000 places that I want to jump off from there. Um, <laughs> choosing, like, yeah, choosing, choosing one. Is it worth spending some time describing the phylogenetic hierarchy, uh, sorry, phylogenetic hierarchy a little bit like in more detail so people understand what we're talking about there? Yeah. Um, if they want, they can also look up Dr. Steve Porges. I'm sure you can explain it a lot better. Um, I'll give my version of it. And so basically the phylogenetic hierarchy is split into a flow, a fight, a flight, and a freeze, right? So you have the dorsal vagus nerve, which would be the freeze, which is our most ancestral uh, type of response, which is if a bear is attacking you, you play fucking dead and hope he doesn't eat you because the body understands that there's nothing else it can do at this moment but try and shut down its entire system to try and survive, right? The other, the other way to look at it is if you were at a mountain and you get smashed by a rock, huh, somebody's been there, <laughs> right? Your, your last defense mechanism is for your entire body to not feel pain and for you to understand that you're going to die. So you just, you just shut down completely. I chose to fight. So therefore my body went into a sympathetic side. Um, 
on the sympathetic side, you have the, the, the flight and the fight, and they always link them together. But I don't, like, one of the arguments that we always make is like, you're going hunting versus you being hunted is not the same reaction. It's not the same expression. It's not the same action, right? So you could be going hunting for a bear and it's all fun and games until you lose your weapon and the bear comes after you. Now you're no longer hunting. Now you're being hunted. So the body reacts differently, and that ha- that that can go a little bit towards like lactate levels and things like that. Um, and for that, you can go to strongfit.com and join our mighty networks and learn all about it because that's that requires a lot of <laughs> a lot of time. Um, but so being hunted versus going hunting, right? And then you have the flow, which is the most modern day, which is the the ventral vagus nerve, uh, and that's what allows us to socialize, to have emotions. Um, that's where we also have the, I think it's a 10th cranial nerve that controls the facial expressions. So one of the things that I've gotten really good at is I can read facial expressions. So I can tell when people are anxious, depressed, excited, uh, totally not there and frozen, right. Just by looking at their face. So their eyebrows can show a lot. The, uh, the cheekbones shows a lot, right. So this is one of the things that scares me about my son is when I go to places that force the mask. It's not a COVID thing. Yeah. It's that allows him to not learn facial expressions. Like I watch him see people speak. He learns social interaction by looking at the face because he has no clue what they're talking about, but he can see the facial expressions. That's where we learn. And so that's where I really started to pay attention to outside of just how the body feels is what is the face doing? So I can be doing a workout with 15 people and I can tell you who's actually there doing the workout and who is just like, bam. Who's there just moving the barbell because it's no longer seems like it's a, a dangerous thing, right? And he's zoned out thinking about, well, shit, tomorrow I have to take the kids to school. And is Marie going to come here and cook for me for dinner? Or do I need to go out for dinner? Or, you know what I mean? Like people just zone out. So now I can tell that completely. So that's that's the basis of the philogenic hierarchy, if you will. And so we need to think about being you know, on the top part, on the flow and fight, not just on the flow. We need action too. Right. Like if we if if we go towards a workout, whoever wants to finish a 5K or a 2K or Fran or, you know, any of these high intensity workouts going, hmm, that was nice. No. What do most people do? They want more. So what do they do? They add more volume. But adding more volume doesn't add more intensity. It just adds more work. So what we need is the intensity. We want to find that fight again. That's why we fell in love with CrossFit in the first place. Because we're on the floor dying, but there was a moment where you're like, we're going to fucking go, right? And so that's where we start to see that switch from flow to fight. You need to have both. Hey, if you're enjoying this episode, chances are you'll enjoy our free ebook, How to Stop Substandard Self-Critical Plateaus and Unleash Your Potential. It's a step-by-step guide to finding your mojo again and getting back to the athlete you know you can be. It's free. You just have to stick your email address in and download it. To find it, head to mindsetrx.com slash ebook. That's mindsetrxd.com slash ebook. Now let's get on with the show. So the problems people encounter are not, it is not fulfilling that complete loop? No, because if you think about it, most of the people get stuck in flight, mm. right? So flight meaning 
more towards the anxious side, if you will, right? And, and again, this is a very like base Surface level. level yeah, like yeah. Th- th- there's a whole universe because mm-hmm. then you're having to look at the brain networks. You're having to look at you know what the hormones are doing. There's a whole lot going on, but I like to explain it in a more simple way, right? Mm-hmm. So we can split it into four quadrants. It's a little bit more simple for people to grasp. But if you have clients that are constantly giving you 70 to 80% of their energy expenditure, because they always think there's going to be 20 to 30% more to do, then they never reach their full potential. Mm. So whenever you have a client that's finishing going like, hey, is there more to do? Or can I go do some abs afterwards? That means they didn't reach their full energy expenditure. And, and mind you, some days that's needed because they have work or they have to go deal with kids for another 12 hours, whatever it may be. But at least every once in a while, we should reach that full potential of, listen, I don't care what's going to happen. But I know one thing is that when you live here, you're not going to ask if there's anything else to do. And you're probably going to want to go home, eat and hang out with your kids watching a movie. Mm-hmm. Right? Go hang out, be safe in the cave. Which if we go back to like primordial days, like that's what it was. It was like, we're going to go hunt. We're going to come back and just fucking eat and try and zonk out inside the cave. Maybe not that way. I don't know. I'm not a <laughs> anthropologist. Don't quote me on that. But you know, like that's that's how I envision it. So there needs to be a, a, a place for all of it. And 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 that's really the, the the bigger side of things when we start looking at it is it allows you to understand that depression and anxiety are not a negative thing, right? Panic attacks aren't negative, it's a function of the body. The problem is that we're trying to get the analytical brain to solve the issues that our body is having, which would lead towards understanding that the brain wants all the energy for itself. Yeah. Because well, why suppose, should the body get energy? Yeah. I suppose things don't persist in, um, through generations without a reason. There's going to be right. some, there's, there's a purpose that that served at some point. Um, and it stuck around because it served that purpose. So to think that it's a mistake to feel that way, to, it's a mistake to feel depressed, or it's a mistake to have an emotional response or a panic attack or whatever, right. is um, yeah, is to deny reality and evolution. Yeah, it's to yeah, it's a social norm, right? So the super ego taking over. And now it's not even the super ego taking. I mean, now it's a super ego taking over. But because you want to take the medication, because now it's cool to have anxiety. I mean, you look, the, the, the only reason I say that is like you read half and don't come at me with hate mail, you know, but it's, you look at all the memes that go up on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter, half of them are about anxiety and depression and making fun of it, which means that we have a fucking real problem. Mm-hmm. Because that means that we're trying to make fun of something that we know truly exists and yet are not willing to take action for it. So we'd rather take medication, continue to complain about the problems, make fun of the problems, but never, ever, ever take physical action or a holistic approach. Some will, don't get me wrong. The people that I'm working with have gotten frustrated with the system and have wanted to take action, right? And I'm I'm not the only one. I I understand there's a lot of coaches out there where people see this frustration of like, hey, I don't feel better with these medicine, right? And it's not changing anything. So I need to make a change. And there's a lot of great coaches out there also making making a difference. But that's where you start to see that we have a social issue where this is becoming the norm, having panic attacks, having depression and depressive thoughts, 
depressive thoughts are only there to show you what it's worth fighting for. If you think about it, right? Like you have it so easy now that why is it like through the pandemic, horrible thing, but it's probably the best time in the world to have a pandemic. Like if you're going to have a pandemic, you want it to be 2021. I mean, food to your house, nonstop entertainment of whatever mindlessness that you're wanting to watch, right? Anything that you need at your house can be delivered. So, I mean, I understand it's a horrible thing and I'd rather be outside playing and going and socializing and all of it. But I mean, could you imagine if that was back in like 1970s, 1960s, 1950s, you know, probably before that they were like, yeah, well, people are going to die because that's life. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, look at the Spanish flu, like the amount of people that died during the Spanish flu. But it's like, well, people understood the, how fragile life was. Like we live in a very safe society now. So it allows the depression and the anxiety to go because A, where do you find your validation for your from your community and your and your society, which would be through social media, which is all falsified. It's not actually taking action on anything. It's just being shinier on, on Instagram. So money's coming at a rapidly easy pace. If you're a young, like I just I'm watching, sorry, I'm jumping into another tangent. But like NFTs and cryptocurrencies, like you're seeing these kids that have absolutely no value for money because now they're multi-millionaires just by drawing these little pictures and shit, right? So the value of a dollar is not there. So then what's worth going out to fight for? Where is the the loyalty to a clan? Where is, you know what I mean? Like, where is that going? It's all going digital. <laughs> so you see these, these actions have repercussions. Because now people don't need to do anything, really. And, and, and there's so many options out there that which one do you take? And so for me, I'm like, well, I don't need you to take all of them, but just take one and follow it through for a little bit. And you may fail, but then we, that may lead you to another one. That at least starts to get you out of that anxiety because now we're taking action. Now we're moving. Now we're expending energy outside of just the brain using up the energy. Okay, so thinking about we're becoming, I suppose it it links into the dismissal of religion and the inheritance of a more scientific view of like, okay, we're going to get rid of uh, the feeling. Social media is a new religion, isn't it? (laughs) <laughs> yeah my life is that exactly. but it becomes more it yeah. becomes more cerebral it becomes more okay we're thinking like purely scientifically and it we're in our head a lot and that kind of matches mm-hmm. up with that with that timeline yeah for sure i mean you know i i don't think this is the right podcast but look at metaverse Whoa. yeah craziness right yeah. all the energy going into that and kids would probably would much rather be there than be out in the real world playing probably yeah, then, you know what I mean. Like oh, man, it, it's a good. scary thing. Yeah, yeah, and so but, <laughs> but it's it's the truth. <laughs> is, is that where we jump into simulation theory as well? <laughs> yeah, right. So let's yeah. not go there. But you know what I mean. But that's like that's the stuff that I'm not trying to combat, but I'm trying to help people understand that there is a reason that there's anxiety and depression, and it could be because of past traumas, or it could be because you just don't take action on anything, or you're feeling lost and overwhelmed because. You have cryptocurrencies, you have NFTs. I mean, we're in this new digital age where anything is possible. Mm. You understand that? Like you could become whoever you want 
on the internet. Like I bet you, and I can make this a no because I already have too many social media accounts. But I could make a social media account and I could become a drag queen. And you would believe me because my social media account only shows pictures of me in the, as a drag queen, not the other 27, 23 and 50 minute hours of the day. Right. So I just put on a dress, take a picture so I could become whoever I want. You know how stressful that might be for some people that don't have an identity. Yeah. Well, it's a mismatch between reality and perception. Yeah. Perception is reality. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but so you can see how people can have yeah. these depends who's perception but yeah right exactly but but you're you as a human being are multi-dimensional so then which dimension are you looking at to justify x y and z and which dimension is having issues with it and then you know what i mean so that's where the issues start to come in because then it just becomes so crowded in your head where do you where do you go to first so another one of my jumping off points that yeah. <laughs> we're going to go through all 40,000. We've got 39,999. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> what muscles are linked to what emotions? Okay. I'll give you the basics. Mm-hmm. So, and this is my philosophy and people are always like, which books do I read to go through this? This is what I have picked up through a lot of experience. Um, and that, there's a, there's a list of them, but I'll give you the basic quadrant. So if you look at the upper left side, it's more towards self-love. So if I'm looking at like the right, the left peck, it's like love towards self, right? And so if I look at the right peck, it's happiness or pride towards self, mm-hmm. right? When I'm looking at the lower body, it's empathy or love towards others. And then on the right side, it's frustration or anger towards others. And so there's like specific muscles that have certain feelings. The... The thing to understand, like if you start looking at Taoism and Taoism and and you start to look at the chains that they also put up is you have to understand that it's not just the muscle, like they have the organ and and parts of the brain that all connect. So there's like dimensions to it. Like you don't get to decide, oh, my my right pec is strong, like therefore I have self-love or I'm going to get my right pec stronger and I'm going to create self-love. It's I think I I look at it as, as the neural connection, the amount of neural connection that you have to that muscle. And so when I start to look at, um, you know, like the left side and I start to look like at the trap part, right? So like the middle of the trap or if like your neck ever feels like heavy, you're like just trying to like move it to loosen it up on the left side. It's usually like over socialization. You're like, I'm just done. Like I just need me time. When I look at the right side, it's always stress towards work, towards the boss. Um, you know, usually the, like I've had people like you start to have like super high neck pain. That's usually having to do with not being proud of yourself. So the right pec turns off. You have some dad issues or fatherly side issues. So the right upper pec turns off. And so this starts to go all the way up into your neck. And so, I mean, there's a whole list of them, but you know. Yeah. There's, there's, a, there's a lot of work to go in there. I was just like, and, and there's a talk. lot that you can do. Yeah. And, and so then I started looking at like the chakras. And so there's a way that you can displace to still connect to the pec, but then you disconnect with the breath. And so therefore you disconnect with the chakras and you're not really there. So again, it's multidimensional, which is, you know, it's, I'm trying to mix between the Eastern philosophies and, and, and what they've been doing for thousands of years and then bring it in with modern theories and, you know, what the body's doing physiologically, neurologically, um, what the hormones are starting to move up and down and all of that as well. What's the best argument in opposition to this? 
I don't know. <laughs> and, 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 and I'm sure there are people out there who are like, okay, that's like, I, I don't believe that. Or that's I'm, fucking crazy. Yeah. yeah. Um, have them come see me if you have anybody. So yeah. this is where, and I've, I've yet to had one. I don't know if that's because people are afraid to talk to me or yeah, I'm not that big of a person yet. I'm not global. Right. Um, but so I had a very Dutch man and Dutch people are worse than Midwesterners in the U S which means they bury their emotions very, very, very deep. And he was here for a coaches week. So it's four day workshop. And he's been to my seminar. So I've seen him a couple of times and every time I'm like, dude, I'm going to get you. And so you, I don't get to decide. This is where the ego kind of gets in the way a little bit, um, you know, because he admits of what he's hiding when I talk to him, um, but he still won't act on it. And this time I'll, I've, I've, I've bettered myself through the, through the last, I think it's been a year and a half that I've seen him. And um, I was like, I'm just going to play with it because this is somebody that if there was an opposition, like this is the man right here. And we went for it. And after like the second, it was a third day where we were doing this like certain type of training exercise and I just didn't let him escape. So now I can see the drop-off points where there's a disconnect between tension mentally, physically, and emotionally. And so I can see those points and I can change the slight movement of the head, slight movement of the body, uh, giving different cues, doing certain things, allow everything to kind of connect. And, um, I got him to cry and he was like, just kind of, but then he felt way better. So I was like, there you go. So just go walk. I'm like, see, it wasn't that difficult. It's just, you were afraid of it. Right. And again, because of whatever's been happening in his past, like, I don't need to know the, the details, if you will. I just need to understand where the, where he doesn't want to go, where he wants to go if he wants to go there, but also understanding that it's not an informative thing right? It's not a memory. It's a, it's an experience. If that makes sense. And so once I, I got him to have this experience, I was like, well, you could give me anybody you want. And I know how, exactly how to get to them. If I need to get them to understand, I don't personally like to do that because it's, I'm not, I'm not here to play God. You know what I mean? Like I'm not here to have you relive certain experiences in your life that maybe you're not ready for like an ayahuasca, like you take the ayahuasca, you have your shaman who's going to guide you and everything. But if you're not ready to open those doors and you open them, you're not going to have a very good trip. Right? So now with the shaman, usually they they take you through this trip and then you come out and it's, you know, it kills the ego and allows you to get to your sense of self. And supposedly there's calling so that you don't have a bad trip, but I've met people that do. And so that's, that for me is part of part of the different part is I'm here to take you as far as you can truly take yourself. And I think that changes the conversation again, talking active versus passive. I'm not relying on a drug or a stimulant. I'm relying on you as a client to do it, but that he would be one of my biggest oppositions, if you will. And I was able to get him to have the experience. And afterwards I said, Hey, this is what we should, what you should be working on for, you know, when you leave, and at least I have a blueprint going forward for him that allows him to be like, okay, so if I want to work with myself in this aspect or this dimension of myself to be better for my kids and whatever my driving goal is, these are the steps that I can take. Yeah. There's, 
like I'm trying to get all my head around this. I haven't been in the strong fit world or your world or the movement ayahuasca world for a while now. I've been kind of focused yeah. on other stuff and like trying to get back into this and kind of figure it all out is um well there's there's a lot to do, isn't there? There's a there's a lot that we're we're speaking around. Um <laughs> if I was gonna prove it to myself, if I was like because I the thing you say about stretching and releasing emotion, you hear the story time and time again in like, I went to yoga yeah. and I just sobbed. Like it was yeah. this stretch or for this sure. movement for me. And I just sobbed. So, and it seems impossibly irrational to believe that there's no link between the physical, emotional, emotional, and mental. Like it's your one being and it all relates right. to each other. And we know how, um, we know how one affects the other. Like we intuitively know it. Um, where does this go next for you? Like what's the, what's the direction that you're traveling in with this? Um, my goal is to make the biggest impact I have and to leave a legacy for my kids, obviously. Um, but I think for me, the, you know, I was doing, I've been playing around with it a lot and, and I was doing this kind of, I called it the gauntlet, but I think it's called the ego killer that I did this workout because I took all my best lifts and I did 4,200 reps. So I did hundred reps per seven rounds moving. Right. And the ego wants to break down, meaning I'm strong enough to do 60 kilo bench at hundred reps or whatever it may be. Um, and then you start to understand it's just for movement and, and going through that whole process. And then I did a 10 K run after that, uh, just to kind of cool it down and, and get my thoughts in order because there was a lot that went through my head. And for me, it's, I want to create an impact and, and the impact and the product that I truly want to create is a place for humans to express themselves and to have a blueprint to, to be their most authentic and their most truthful selves to allow themselves to love and to care again. And um, so what my end goal for this is to be able to have either nonprofit or just being able to work with people that have the contacts to get me to go to juvenile halls, to get me to go to, um, you know, uh, retreats or to places where there's been women from human trafficking or boys from human trafficking, uh, going to prisons, being able to help people that do not normally have this type of you know, either capital or investment or an understanding of where to begin. Right. So I think that's, that's, that for me has been, is my 10 year goal um, starting earlier than that. But my 10 year goal is to have a big impact in that world where I can really help people that do not have the, that have never been given the opportunity to be themselves. Mm. You know, if you're broke, if you grow up in a world where your father's abusive or your mom's a drug addict or the other way around or, you know, any of that, you have options to, to take for sure. But, but you're never, you were never allowed to be you. Right. So for me is, see, you're making me emotional and it could be the whiskey. No, it's a, it's, it's this conversation, right? It's emotional because it's, how can you show people that you love and care for them without wanting anything from them? That's the impact I want. To give. Yeah. You know, you got more emotional, man. Change the subject. 
No, but but that's that's I mean that's the I think that's became that that has become a lot more clear. I think in the last few weeks, what I what if I have a talent, why not use it for for the best that I can, right? And so I think that's really where where the drive is going to go. I don't know how I'm going to get there yet, <laughs> but I'll find a road. That's the thing um, about a vision, right? You don't know how you're going to get there. Yeah. Otherwise, it'd be boring. Yeah, that's very true. The journey is the fun part. Just yeah. like mountains. Just like mountains. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Um, where did the name Movement Ayahuasca come from? Um, I had a client of mine that came to see me. Super cool dude. Um did an ayahuasca because he had Lyme disease and he had looked all over the world and it was one of his kind of last resorts. And with the ayahuasca, he came out Lyme free and you're like, that's again, the shit that you can't explain. <laughs> so I'm not saying ayahuasca is not a, it's not a right approach either. If you want to take the, the sup, the, the, what would it be? The, the plant, right? Like all that stuff. If you guys are up for it, go for it. But it's um, I did a workout with him afterwards and we and it was when i was really playing with the phylogenetic hierarchy and the emotional mapping and within two hours um he kind of broke down and he was again one of my beta testers i don't think he knew what he was in for but i just was relentless and um he broke down and i had a whole group of people where i they I literally was like hey you guys can go just go walk around and see talk about what you've learned through this session watching me coach him um and i just kind of sat there and just hugged him for a while and um He's like, what the fuck, man? He's like, that was more powerful than the ayahuasca's I've done. And I was like, huh, movement ayahuasca. And it just kind of stuck in my head. And I talked about it like two, three years ago in a couple podcasts. And it just always stuck in my head. And this year I was in Italy. And I was just like, I really want to, like, my drive is to work with people and connect with people. And I was with my brother. And I was like, you know, I, I do this, like, movement ayahuasca. And he's like, that's a powerful name. And I was like, yeah, it is. He goes, you should do something with it. And again, take an action. Stop thinking about it. Just take action. I was like, all right. And so I called up a couple people and I I I got the I got the name branded and trademarked. And I was like, I'm gonna do it. Like there's no no reason I shouldn't. And I was like, yep, it's gonna happen. Movement ayahuasca. Because I can I, I I look at movement as a way for you to be able to take a trip, right? So when you were doing yoga and you were sobbing, it wasn't because you were sobbing from a memory, right? The memory might be a part of it, but there was an experience you were reliving as those muscles were tensing up. And, you know, and, and you, maybe you don't even know what that, what that was, but the body remembers that experience and you're reliving that experience. And that the crying is the empathetic approach. It means that the muscles have expressed that anger, that fight, and now they've gone into acceptance. And that acceptance comes from an empathetic expression, crying. It could be laughing, right? It could be crying and laughing, but that's that's the body going like, hey, we can surpass this. Now we can move forward. Yeah, I, the, the phrase is, or the quote that's coming to mind there is until you make the unconscious conscious, it will dictate your life and you call it fate. That Jungian idea yeah. of like, okay, it's you're processing it whether you know it or not. And I suppose the what the kind of the unsaid bit of that quote is, and then you do something about it. 
you like you make the unconscious conscious and then you change it if you're approaching it through a therapeutic or, or psychological uh, psychological frame or a therapeutic frame that's the steps right. you'd go for you'd go and okay i'm gonna um, absolve myself from the story or i'm gonna rewrite the narrative or i'm gonna do whatever the the therapist recommends right yeah. i suppose what you're doing there is you're processing it physically you're you're kind of you're bringing it kind of to con- conscious memory again in a way and then you're doing something about it. you're addressing it you're kind of um having well, a physical what's the point of this constantly reliving your same trauma well yeah exactly then you stay in the victim right so uh again and it reinforces it i thank god for my mother right um she used to always say it doesn't matter what what that person did to you what matters is how you reacted and how you act afterwards Mm -hmm. and so for me i always tell people i'm like you know the point that your father was abusive for example who cares if you yell at him or punch him maybe that's what's needed don't get me wrong but maybe he's gone and you're still holding on to that so he still has an attachment to it so what you need to do is take action on it we need to fucking express that anger I don't think that you can truly accept any trauma. And, you know, this comes from whatever, you know, the variance of trauma. Like I'm not saying it needs to be this massive trauma, but you cannot accept any trauma if you don't express the anger, express the energy towards it first. First comes the expression of that anger, frustration, whatever word you want to put there. But that expression needs to be done physically before you can accept it. The analytical brain can always accept anything because it's trying to survive. But then you have those nightmares or you can't sleep or you're constantly going, well, I forgave him, but I'm still thinking and thinking and thinking and thinking. You haven't forgiven him. You have not accepted it if you're still thinking about it. That means it's still stuck in your mind. It's still changing who you are as a person. Well, something I've been figuring out, well, something I figured out a while back for myself, but ever since I've been looking through the lens of it is that there's a certain comfort and predictability and almost like a false safety that we get from victimhood it's like oh i know this i know that i'm in this and therefore i can yeah it it, simplify the world it's not but it's not victimhood right i mean yes it is victimhood but the body is very but the body is very comfortable with the hormesis and homeostasis Mm -hmm. It's very cyclical. It understands how to survive. If survival mode was in this line and you move this line, you've taken it outside survival mode. That's scary, (laughs) right? Again, that's a problem with linear progression. And so that's where you have addiction and you have, you know, abusive relationships. They normally fall back into it. Maybe as a different person, they've learned something from the previous one, hopefully, but they fall back into it because that's what's comfortable. It takes years to rechange these behaviors. And there's going to be dips and there's going to be highs, right? We all understand that from training as, as, a, as a, you know, kind of superficial look at it. But if we look at addiction, if we look at, if we look at abusive relationships and such, the body understands how to survive, whether that's to be an abusive relationship or to take drugs because you can't handle it because the world's overwhelming. Like I'd rather get beat, but have a house, right? Or whatever it may be. And again, I'm sorry. I don't want to generalize what an abusive relationship is like, because I know that there's many facets to it, but the, the body and the human itself starts to get comfortable and it's an environment. 
and changing that environment is very difficult. It takes some action, but then it takes also consistency. It takes love and care. There's there's so many facets to it. Listen, I'm not a magician. You know what I mean? Otherwise, I would already be making that huge impact that I was saying, and we, we'd cure a lot of the world's problems. But with hard work, with the person, the individual who wants to do the work, comes in and shows up and wants to change itself, that's all I need. Because I understand that we're going to do a millimeter. And then you're going to want to fall back to the same cycle. Why? Because it's safe. Not only safe, it's comfortable. It's what you're used to. Predictable. It takes away the complexity of the situation. You you no longer need, it's it's reactable, not predictable. You don't need to make new predictions because you know that you're, you know, you're going to get hit or you know you're going to get high. It's a reaction to the overwhelming world. The prediction would be like, how do I get out of this? Well, shit, I don't know how. So I'm just going to be reactive and, 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 you know, go back to the bad situation. Yeah. Yes. Let's take it out of that very deep part and let's take it into training. My shoulder hurts. I could do something about it or I could be reactive and still show up and just press with shoulder pain. Right. My prediction goes, okay, I'm going to do something about it. I go see the physiotherapist. And then I go back to do the same thing without changing my behavior towards the press. Like, have you ever had clients that go, oh, I should stop doing barbell shoulder presses and move to a sandbag? No, because then you you, you get excluded from the group. Yeah, but you know what I mean? Then you get excluded from the group. So that's not cool. So I'd rather just take the pain of the shoulder, but still be included and validated by the community in my CrossFit gym. Mm-hmm. That's what happens. That's a perfect example. You become reactive, not predictive. Predictive would be like, hey, guys, I'm not going to do barbell shoulder presses because I need to get myself better. Yeah. Well, I suppose what I meant by that is you can you can predict the outcome that you're going to get by continuing the same behavior. You can see the end result. And sometimes that certainty of the end result is um, far more compelling and safe than the, um, than the choosing to, especially standing outside a social situation and kind of, um, yeah, electing to be different from the group. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we as humans, again, that, 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 that vagus nerve wants us to be social. We need validation. We we want to not challenge ourselves, right? The challenge to our to the self, right? So in order for that, we'd rather be, you know, you've been brought up in a social class, whether that's gangs, whether that's you know, CrossFit, whether that's bodybuilding, whether that's track, whether whatever that that situation is, you've you've come to become validated. And you don't want to lose that. So you'd rather take the bad with the tiny bit of the good, which means you're not exiled from that community. Yeah. And you'd rather have your identity reinforced, the identity that you've constructed of this is who I am. You'd rather have that reinforced than question that. Well, yeah. And, it, and it's become, I mean, that it takes a long, a long while before you understand that you need to either make a new one or you're just like, nah, I'm just going to stay here. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And and the problem now is that the identity is so reinforced in social media, mm-hmm. <laughs> which makes it that much harder because it's like, well, now I don't just have the influence of the 100 people at my gym. 
but I have my thousand, two thousand, or whatever followers. Now, what do I do? How do I change this? That's difficult. That puts you in a corner. That's survival mode, one hundred percent. Slight anxiety, panic attacks. It becomes so overwhelming because you're like, well, how do I even leave this? Right. So, just to put it on a very simple note, like, how many people out there of your listeners have wanted to leave your gym, but get anxiety over the connections that they may lose now imagine if you have ten thousand followers how much bigger that is imagine if the entire world as a whole can understand what you're trying to leave how does that look yeah yeah that's why it becomes so overwhelming and i always tell people at the end of the day everybody's extremely fucking selfish and nobody gives a fuck Mm -hmm. do what you want to do yeah (laughs) <laughs> but, you know what but I mean? There's but the often cited easier said than done. Yeah, there's the often cited study though that um the second biggest fear in life is death, and the first one is public speaking. Um, mm-hmm. and that's the fear of social rejection. It's the fear yeah. of standing out. Like we are so hardwired to fit in and blend in, and um it, it comes with neg- negative connotations, but be a sheep is in like form part of the flock and and just not be the tallest poppy. Yeah. One hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's the the basis. I think I, I don't. I, we've gone on tangents on tangents, and I've had a, a couple of whiskeys, but um, this has been beautiful. Uh, but yeah, that's that's really where I want to see the changes of people because we're talking about the ayahuasca and where movement ayahuasca came from, like that. I want to make sure that what I provide for people is not me pa- not it's not me providing a short term reward but me truly giving long-term value to my service. Beautiful. Meaning I don't want you to leave what, what you working with me. And then three months down the line, you're back in the same and not having an understanding of how to get out of it. Right. So that's, that's something that I always want to do with my clients is give them long-term value. Like, yeah, you, you you're more than likely going to fall back into the same routine or you're going to feel down or you're going to feel super high and over anxious and, you know, but there are tools that are there for you. that are active that if you choose to do them can help with this situation that's happening, this overwhelming sensation or this lack of, of drive or, you know, uh, motivation, whatever it may be. And so that's, that's what I think is the, the biggest thing that I want out of movement ayahuasca is I want to provide tools for people that really want to change their lives. Because again, was I supposed to be hit on the side of the mountain? I don't fucking know, but all I know is that it fucking happened. Mm-hmm. So I need to make my decision. Do I need to change that or do I not? Right. And so now I have the tools necessary if I choose to change the situation that I'm in. Right now, I'm in a really happy situation, but for the most part, there's tools there to help you get out of that anxiety, depression, PTSD, negative self-talk. I mean, you know, whatever gradients of it that you want you want to go through. And I think there's very simple ways to approach it. it. Doesn't need to be extremely difficult, but there's there's definitely simple ways to approach it. And we need to have a way to make people independent again. It's not, it's not a, it's not a byproduct. It's a, it's a byproduct to do the movements, right? It's a product to actually care about the movements that you are doing. Yeah. I because like- the movements that I teach are, are the ones that we've taught in strong fit and we've taught in CrossFit, but I give 
the reason behind doing it. And the byproduct is the exercise that we're doing. There's so, it goes so much deeper. I like how it's reinforcing independence and self-efficacy. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the thing. Like if it relies on someone else, if, if it relies on like, oh, you've got to do, ex- you've got to rely on me and my thing in order to create your change, then you kind of, you smell the bullshit. If you, yeah, if it's like, right? here, here are the tools and this is what like we're trying to do as much as like, here are the tools, go and use them as much as you can. And if you want help, we're here to provide it, but like, he, like go and do this work for yourself and we'll teach you how to do it. Yeah. And I think that's, that's the, the beautiful part of what I do. Um, it might not be good for me in the long term because I run out of clients. Um, I don't think I'll run out of clients, but you know, you it's, but, but I, I always tell people, I'm like, I want you to start off as my client and finish off as my friend. Cause I always get along with everybody so well, <laughs> you know, but at some point I'm like, you don't need me anymore. Like you're doing great. So go do your thing, but let's keep in touch. And you know, if if you have hiccups along the way, then cool. Let's, let's talk about it. So talking about clients, how can people find more about you? How can people like visit movement ayahuasca, that kind of thing? Yeah. So I have uh, my first movement ayahuasca retreat is going to be January 5th to the 9th in Mexico. Um, I have this beautiful hotel and, and the experience that I'm trying to bring with the, with these retreats are, you know, a little bit more luxurious. And I want to make sure that not, not the luxury part, but I want it to just be like a beautiful place where you can just truly emerge in yourself and not worry about anything else. Uh, so movementayahuasca.com. I have a movement ayahuasca Instagram handle, and then all my personal stuff is at rare barracuda. Oh, we didn't touch in spirit animals. Oh, spirit side. So before I was, we were doing the, like the movement ayahuasca stuff and everything. And I was like, well, you know, let's look at, I was like trying to justify because my wife wants me to change. She didn't want me to change. If she listens to this, she'll be mad. Um, but we we're talking about maybe changing the Instagram handle. And I've gotten so fond of Rare Barracuda. And we were looking into it and I, I named it Rare Barracuda because it's our very big Barracuda in Cozumel. Uh, when I, uh, I was diving and I was like, man, that's beautiful. And so my Instagram handle became rare Barracuda. So fast forward to now, we were like trying to see what Barracuda could actually mean. They would be, cause they're an ugly fish. They're not pretty. <laughs> um, you know, they're, they're mean and everything. And we were looking at what the kind of spirit animal of it would be. And literally it goes the Barracuda spirit animal. You're going to take a, a, a ride on the wild side and Basically, the barracuda understands when there needs to be love and when there needs to be care. And sometimes their love and care will be shown off in a very mean way, but it's because they truly want to make you and see you succeed. And I was like, that's beautiful. Because sometimes I get very passionate and people think I'm being an asshole, but it's just because I'm so like, how are you not disinvested in what we're doing? Let's go. And so I, for me, it was just like, I was like, I'm never changing my Instagram handle. So rare Barracuda forever. The one. <laughs> it's also a great classic rock song. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Limitless Athlete podcast. I'm Tom Foxley. Following this episode, we are going to be releasing the debrief, which is going to be a summary of everything that we've learned in this podcast with our own mindset RX twist on it. So we're going to teach you how to apply this to your own training, your own life, and your own mental health and fitness too. If you'd enjoy the show, 
sorry, if you do enjoy the show and you want to leave a five-star review on iTunes, that is super helpful for us. And don't forget to subscribe too or share it with a friend. That's very, very useful too. For further mindset training resources and tools, you can head over to mindsetrx.com or find us on Instagram by searching for mindsetrx. That's mindsetrxd. Next week, we are going to be taking a pretty deep dive again into the world of dopamine and how that affects behavior, mood, and much more besides.